Hello everyone, welcome back to Woso Daily. I am Joey, I'm here with Ray Velasquez, uh, host of the Scuff Podcast, and Claire says hook him from the Scuff Discord to recap two very, very, very scintillating quarterfinal matchups and preview the next two. So first of all, Greg, how are you doing? Joey, I am adrift. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. We had to, I had to ask if you could come on and just touch on what went wrong uh, for the Japanese women's national team. But before we get into that, Claire, how are you doing? I'm doing good, you know, riding the hater energy. I slept through Japan, so I didn't have to experience that much sadness. Riding on the haterade today. Yeah, we can start with that game, which was actually very watchable for those of us in the States. That was nice. Uh, after uh, Bierenstein had all those uh, quotes about how, you know, the USA was like aloof or whatever, has lost their edge. Spain comes out, knocks the Netherlands out of the World Cup. A 2-1 win. It went to extra time. And uh, Paraguelo, I think is how you say the name. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, scored the winner in the 111th minute. So the Netherlands is out, Claire. And the hater game is strong. Yeah, the Netherlands is out. Spain moves on. Do you have thoughts on, like, the goalie changes with Spain that have been ongoing or all of their rotations? There were rotations and substitutions confused me a little bit. I thought they kind of lost a little bit of control when they pulled Bonmati off with, like, a tiny little bit left in regular time. And then they were, like, didn't put Puteas on for a while. Did you have any thoughts or concerns about that? Or is it just, we will never know the villain build, the villain Dilda? I genuinely have no idea. Like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if they're monitoring, like, uh, you know, their output, their energy output, and if they're deciding that they can't continue. Um, I don't know what's going on with the uh, the goalkeeper transitions. Uh, I know they were rotating their center backs throughout the tournament as well, and uh, you know, one of their center backs had an absolute shocker against Japan in that zero fourth. Uh, drubbing and we haven't seen her back on the field again so she i think is out of the rotation but i'm not sh- i'm not sure what is all going into the uh the choices spain are making um but they have to be feeling pretty good uh about what they've what they've been doing they didn't allow a lot of chances for the netherlands um until the very very end so i yeah i, I imagine they're they're feeling all right going into this semifinal. yeah they didn't allow a ton of chances, like I was going to say, until the end, uh, because then Berenstein had a couple of really good looks uh, in extra time. Uh, the the number is obviously not as dominant as it would be against a lesser team. The Netherlands is plenty capable, um, and so Spain only had their 62% possession, but massively won on the shots, the chances, all that good stuff, and uh, they do advance. I don't know if this is the great place to have like a macro discussion about this, but like for Vilda, right? Like... I guess the coverage around the Spanish the Spanish team and around him, at least from the English commentators, has been, I guess, kind of just disregarding all the problems that they're having uh, in the Federation, almost kind of washing that uh, under the bridge, kind of. I don't understand why that's been the case. Do you guys have any inklings as to why? I think it's only us, really, who are massive sickos who even kind of uh, approach this Spanish team with that level of, I guess, kind of insight and knowledge 
And I feel like everyone else kind of just disregards that in this, their analysis. But to me, it feels very crucial. So why don't you think we talk about Vilda that much and the problems that he is having or really the Spanish players are having with him? Yeah, so just for context, the Spanish players have been in a fight with their federation for a while now. They had 15 players saying they were going to sit out indefinitely last year. Some of them came back, but some of them are still out. Partially, are the, a few of those are players Vilda didn't bring back in after they had sat out. A few of them are still protesting. Mapi Leon, for example, big Barcelona star, probably should have been on the Spanish team, not here because of the player protests. Their rotations are part of what's confusing to me about the drama with Vilda. Like, if you were looking at all of the celebrations after the game and all, he's not involved at all. Puteas has spoken up about him before. There, It just seems like a bit of a gross situation. And I don't know, like, it could just be that's not what commentators want to focus on. And just about every team is in a fight with their federation right now. What do y'all think? I feel like it's one of those that would take like real, real reporting. And that's not something that, uh, that Fox is wanting to do for this World Cup. Because, again, that's not the story they want to tell anyway. So they're probably not in a hurry to dedicate resources to actually re- reporting on this. Because there isn't a lot that I've seen that's like documented uh, for the complaints they have, that, that the players have. It's, it's a lot about like the treatment and the, uh, the environment. Uh, that's been created for that team. So it's it's one of those things that like Fox probably isn't again isn't eager to uh, say like make like declare things that have happened because it's going to be unverified or they're going to have to again really dig in if they want to get verifications on it. So uh, it's not surprising that they'd want to sort of sweep this under the rug and just you know occasionally mention that Spain have 15 players who have who've like declined call ups. Uh, without digging in really deep into the why uh, of that. Um, so, yeah, it is going to come down to more niche uh, organizations and, and sort of soccer uh, media that's going to have to try to really kind of outline that stuff. Yeah, well, if we're still staying on Spain. They're moving forward. They're probably one of the most talented teams in the tournament. I mean, they have the two-time reigning Ballon d'Or winner, Puteas, who... Didn't get in until the 110th minute, so that's confusing. They hit the post a couple of times. They had that beautiful extra time second goal, and they are moving on to face Sweden, which I'm sure we'll get into once we mourn Japan. But as we say goodbye or good riddance to our Dutch compatriots, you know... Talk about our big mouth. Run your own. Get got. <laughs> That's, that seemed to be what happened. And it set it up really, I guess, for uh, Berenstein, unfortunate for the haters of us in the U.S. fan base, very fortunately, that she had two really, really good looks fall to her in the second half of extra time. I think both at that point would have put them ahead. She just missed both. Like, one wide, one over the top. I it was clear that she was a spark plug for them, but ultimately was kind of uh, I guess her own undoing in terms of the the uh, criticism she's going to get now because she can talk as big a game as she wants. 
but then she had two very good chances to back that up and didn't do it. Greg, I guess on a, a, a I guess a more surface level discussion, I what do you think this Netherlands team is in the uh, broader context of women's soccer? Because it seems like they're really good, but can never get over the edge against the really really good teams. They couldn't do it against the United States, uh, and now they can't do it against Spain. So again, another tournament without a major title. What do you think this Netherlands team is going forward? I mean, I think they're much, much better with Miedema. So you, you're going to add her back in the mix. You saw in this game, almost all of their attack uh, came from Bierenstein just running onto balls over the top. Uh, like, ironically, up until uh, they moved their center back up front and she ran onto a ball over the top and managed to score. But uh, it's, it was basically all Bierenstein other than that. And, um, you know, she didn't play against the U.S. So uh, we didn't have to deal with her when we were shutting them out from chances. Um, but... Netherlands need me to be back, of course, and then and then I don't know. They're still they're still sort of like in their early stages of uh, emerging as as more, one of the top ten teams in the world. Um, they emerged very quickly with their win in the Euros in 2017, so they do have that title. You know that they can they can say yes, we can do it, and you know they can. It's it's knockout soccer, so it's it's going to be like anyone can get God at any time, as we have all learned and continue to learn. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's panic stations for the Netherlands at all. Um, two really tough games and the knockouts for them already. Uh, and you know, it's, it's just sort of what the game is. Three games. I shouldn't, I shouldn't sell South Africa short. Three tough knockout games for the Netherlands. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair <laughs> though. I think, but um, I welcome the hate yeah. though. I welcome the hate. Yeah. From, yeah. From Claire. So don't skip the, I mean, part of the, this is like the fun banter, right? When it's actually the actual players talking about actual soccer. Right. Like this is the banter I can get behind. Right. This is a banter that the players created. This isn't a fan base driven thing. Like she, she's out here sharing these quotes. We're going to talk about them, but yes, uh, the Spain moves on a two, one win against the Netherlands sends them on this historic run really for uh, th- their federation and this uh, women's national team onto the semifinals where they were to take on the winner of Japan and Sweden. That game was in the middle of the night and it will be Sweden with another two, one win advancing to face Spain, but we cannot get into this game and we cannot celebrate Sweden without first mourning. As you said, Claire, Japan, they are now officially knocked out of the tournament, and it is a real shame for those of us who like to watch beautiful soccer. Greg, can you uh, deliver an obituary for your favorite women's <laughs> national team, please? Uh, I mean, they just they just sort of fell short, and they fell short of their own standards. Uh, I don't want I don't want to take anything away from Sweden. Sweden were excellent in that game. It was it was a joy to watch them. Uh, Japan just came out and looked a little bit uh, like they were lacking confidence. And, and usually I think confidence can be a crutch. But in this case, like it looked like they didn't fully trust their patterns, uh, their patterns that we've seen them execute against high-level high teams, um, going back to She Believes and then in, the, in this World Cup. And they just didn't – I mean, they were – Japan were so fluid against Norway, uh, who were in a really organized block. And they just didn't have, again, that same sort of precision and confidence uh, against Spain. So they ended up, like, hesitating. They'd miss a window. They the, You could see the pattern had created this window, but they would they would not pull the trigger. And then while they were holding the ball right after not pulling the trigger, Sweden would just come in and uh, totally physically dominate them in the cage. So it'd be like, uh, you know, Japanese, Japan would have it in the midfield. 
you'd see the opening up that they could have played a pass forward on the Florida feet. They wouldn't do it. They think they could, you know, take another couple touches and still be safe. And then you would just see this Swedish leg, this super long Sweden player, just like step between Japan and the ball. And then that was it. It was Sweden's ball. And then Sweden were possessing and going the other way. So yesterday, Ryan was saying about Sweden maybe, and this is when obviously we thought that it was going to be Japan on the front foot, Japan kind of creating all these chances that if Sweden were to win, it would be off one of these like a set piece because they had that height and that physical dominance. Do you think that that kind of showed itself in other facets of the game? And do you think that's what ultimately made uh, this game, you know, go in Sweden's favor? I do think that. I mean, I think it was a real physical domination from Sweden. And it certainly wasn't just like all set pieces. We know what they can do on set pieces. And they did get both of their goals off of set piece and set piece aftermath. Um, but, I mean, that it's not like those were their only chances. Like against the U.S., their only chances came off. They were dangerous on set pieces. Against Japan, they were racking up shots from the run of play, too. Uh, and it would be it would be through like real passing through the midfield. Their passing chart in this game uh, looked like a much more coherent passing chart than in any of their previous games. They really did play into their uh, holding midfielder. Rubinson was just on the ball constantly, uh, like in between the Japanese lines, like ahead of their front three, but uh, or behind their front three ahead of their midfielders. Uh, and she was just constantly getting on the ball in ways that she hasn't been doing all tournament in, in these other games. So uh, again, full credit to Sweden. They executed everything basically perfectly up until the last 25 minutes. And then, and then Japan started to pour it on when it was 0-2. Yeah, and Claire, it seems like Sweden's best friend right now is the crossbar. Multiple chances denied by the bar in this game, obviously. Uh, that The goal line technology also coming in to help them against the United States. Everything seems to be falling Sweden's way right now, and I it, it feels like they're kind of riding on this wave of, I don't know, uh, um, vibes, emotion. Uh, they're getting some help in these games. Yeah. I think Sweden moving forward against this Spain team, they kind of have a chance. I think the style they play and the fact that they are like, you know, all six feet tall might help them out here. Spain did not finish some of their chances. And the last one, I think they're going to have to be more clinical against Sweden. So that's going to be a good one to see who's going to the final. And Greg, how about Ilstead? She is a goal-scoring machine at center back. This is uh, this is another goal for her, which I think brings her World Cup goal total to four. I she she uh, is putting herself in the running for the Golden Boot at center back. Set pieces, man. I think are three of her four on, or are all four on set pieces? I know three three have come from uh, from those chances. Yeah, it's just, again, Sweden are good at what they're good at. And in this game, they show that they've got uh, a little more depth. They're not a, they're not a one-trick pony the whole way. So, uh, I guess, yeah, be warned, Spain. Yeah, as uh, many uh, commentators will tell you, set pieces, set pieces, set pieces are uh, the game, the name of the game at these knockout tournaments. And Sweden certainly has what it takes uh, to do against Spain and whoever they will play moving forward in this tournament. I guess we can transition from those two games as we uh, will have that Spain-Sweden semifinal that is locked in. 
And over the next 24 hours, the other semifinal will be confirmed. The first game will take place at 3 a.m. on the East Coast, the third quarter final. It's the hosts, Australia, taking on, for me, maybe the front runners at this point in France. This will be a really interesting game, a matchup that I had circled the second that it got locked in. Claire, I think the eyes of the world will be on this game and certainly probably the eyes of the world on Diani. Yeah, I am just, this is one where like, I don't have a horse in the race. I'm just excited to watch. I would love to see Australia do it. I would love to see France have the story of getting rid of Diacra and bringing in Renard and then suddenly being able to do what they had never been able to do before. I think those are both great outcomes. We're thinking we might get Sam Kerr back. Gustafsson was given an interview, and he basically said, of course she's playing if she's available. She's the best player in the world. If she can give us 90, I want her to give us 90. I don't know if she can give us 120, so I don't know if she's going to start. But Kerr versus the Lisomare and Renard French team, I am so excited. And that's Wendy Renard. Yeah, Greg, I would say as it pertains to this game, what are the keys that you're looking at? Um, maybe kind of those bellwethers to, you know, show which of these teams might get the upper hand. Do you think it's as simple for Australia as is Sam Kerr in the lineup? <laughs> oh, I no, I have no idea. I have not I have not put like any any time into uh studying Australia or France. I've been fully dedicated to Japan. So all of my uh all of my play like Video review is out the window now. Uh, I'm, I'm with Claire. I'm just excited as hell to watch this. So even though my favorite pr- people have left the party, uh, the party's still going and it's still a blast. So uh, I don't I don't have a single tactical thing to say about this other than it'll be. I hope Sam Kerr plays more than 30 minutes. And I, for me, I hope Australia wins because I always love a host nation at the World Cup going far. Those crowds have been great for them. Should be a ton of fun, unfortunately for us here in America in the middle of the night. But hey, uh, those are the, uh, the downfalls of having a World Cup halfway across the world. And then at 6.30 a.m., a much more watchable time, we have a very, very interesting matchup. We have England, who are the odds-on betting favorite to win the whole thing against Colombia, who's really the Cinderella story up to this point. They have Linda Caicedo working magic on the wing. It'll probably be Caicedo versus Lucy Bronze. Someone pointed that out in the Discord what a matchup that will be. Claire, do you think that we can have a David v. Goliath situation? Do you think Colombia can pull it off? Well, I would first say what part of drawing an albeit very good Nigeria team brings you to the conclusion that England are the odds-on favorite to win it all. This wasn't a question posed to you, Joey. This is me fully with my hater hat on. It's the same way that everyone just predicted the U.S. to win the tournament, in my opinion. But I wanted to ask y'all before we get into what might happen in this one, what were your thoughts on the red card with Lauren James and the fact that she only got suspended for two games? Very quickly, if that question was, uh, you know, pointed to me, I would say it's because they don't watch women's soccer. I think that's very clear. England is not the favorite. I would need a lot uh, to prove to me in this game that they are. Uh, the red card should absolutely be a three-game suspension. Past precedent tells you it's three games. The fact that she stamped on her chest 
should mean that it's a three-game suspension, which would put her out for the rest of the tournament. The fact that it's not Greg, to me, shows a very clear bias in this situation. How about, what do you think? I mean, I'm I'm probably just going to lean towards uh, everyone's just winging it, uh, but but I don't know. I mean, they they could be trying to get uh, the star power back in it. You know, again, FIFA's FIFA's been sitting uh, on the yellow card accumulation rule forever, so it's not like they don't know that they have an issue with key players being suspended for marquee games. Um, so I guess I'm saying that as a way of saying maybe they're not necessarily just trying to get her back in time for the final because they haven't shown a willingness to change other rules to help stars uh, stay in tournament games. Um, so again, I have, I have no idea if they're, if FIFA's really trying to lean towards England winning it. Uh, don't know. I don't have anything there. Anyone but England. <laughs> oh, I will just say she stepped on Michelle Alozier's back, a cancer researcher, a Yale graduate, my star forward for my Houston Dash. Like, I was like annoyed at England. I was annoyed at England fans. Now I'm just angry. And I don't want to put any more pressure on Linda Caicedo's little 18-year-old shoulders. But God, I want her to cook. It's Linda Caicedo. That's what she does. I don't, I don't think that uh, we need to hope that hard for her to do what she does on a regular basis. I guess, Claire... As we look at this game as a true 90-minute matchup, what do you think you know, the big keys are going to be in this for Columbia to pull the upset? Because I think they've got all that they need, and they've been playing well up to this point. But in all fairness, England is a tougher task than any of the uh, teams that I think they've played thus far. Even Germany. I think England is—they are kind of humming right now, save for that Nigeria draw. That was interesting. But I think that— in terms of a full squad, this is probably the best that they've seen. I don't know. Like, I think the injuries hurt them. I think the midfield injury they picked up hurts them in the group stage. I think they're going to miss Lauren James. She's been one of their best attackers. As much as we are giving her a hard time for that red card, like, I think if Columbia can stay organized as they, as they have been, and if we can get another magical Caicedo moment, it's theirs for their ta- for the taking. What do y'all think? Do y'all have thoughts on how to knock down mighty England? So, so England, so they got they got Walsh back, which which I was I didn't realize she was going to be coming back. I thought she was out for the tournament. Just kind of assumed uh, the way she'd been carried off. So they had her back and starting uh, against Nigeria. I I still think without Lauren James, they're going to be hurting. In the attack, I mean, they have talent everywhere, but uh, I again, I'm just hoping that Colombia beat them. And if Colombia don't beat them, I'm really hoping that Australia or France do. <laughs> yeah, that's me too. I mean, and we talked about in this pod, Lauren James has like again for all the flack we want to give her, has been probably their best player going forward, at least in terms of chance creation. They stuck her in there to start in that second game. She immediately produced a goal. Like She's been really good on the field. Uh, So missing her will 100% be a loss. And I think, in all fairness, as I said, that England might be Columbia's toughest out, maybe save for that Lauren James injury. I think that Columbia are a team the likes of which England has not seen anywhere near the level of this tournament, right? They've played Haiti, Denmark, China, and Nigeria, which are all, I mean, they can all play in their own right, but are nowhere near right now what Colombia has been offering at this tournament. So 
I'm really excited to see if Columbia have what it takes. I certainly think Caicedo can pull it off, though I do think that Lucy Bronze could be the toughest out or will be the toughest out that she's had all tournament. So even in terms of Caicedo doing it, I think it's going to be a real ass for her to do it against such a good, such a seasoned veteran like Bronze. I don't know, Claire. That's, I guess, the final thought on this game. Do you think specifically in that Caicedo v. Bronze or that right side matchup, Caicedo has what it takes to gain the upper hand? What more do you want Linda Caicedo to do? Colombia's been tested in a way that I don't think England has, which is like very much a sports storyline thing to say, but they've had to beat good teams. Yeah, I think that's fair. Greg, do you think <laughs> this is such a, this is such a sports debate question? Do you think Caicedo <laughs> has what it takes? I mean, she's capable of it. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's what we get to enjoy watching is uh is whether she can do it in like uh, I mean, the goals she scored have already made her a uh, tournament favorite uh, to follow. And again, this is this is how you create those sports stories. So let's hope so. The other thing is now that Japan are out, somebody's creating a brilliant new sports story because all six teams remaining have never won the World Cup. So we're getting a new World Cup winner. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I almost forgot to mention that. That's that's going to be really cool, I think. Yeah, do y'all have a new favorite going forward now that America's second team, Japan, has sadly gone away. Hopefully for me, Columbia, hopefully that can survive through the next 18 hours. <laughs> it's whoever's on the line against England, I think, is who my favorite <laughs> team is for that round. <laughs> that might very well be the case for me as well. I don't know. I, I hate being a hater, but England has ruffled my feathers recently, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. Anyways, uh... This game will go on 6.30 on the East Coast. Well, that's it for the games we had to uh, recap and preview. Greg, anything else you want to add? Now, just keep enjoying the, the party. Even if you're sad about, uh, about losing some of, the, some of the teams, Like the party rolls on and it will continue to be a blast. Yeah. And Claire, anything else? No, I think Greg said it best. There's a lot of sports joy still available for us to see. And I just can't wait to see it, unless in which case it goes to England, and then I am a full hater. <laughs> there is a lot of joy left at this tournament, as Greg mentioned. Team that's never won it before will emerge the victor, just because the remaining six teams have never won a World Cup. Which is kind of, you know, I think that's fun, and probably a little foreign for women's soccer at this stage of uh, this competition. So that should be fun. Well, Greg, Claire, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, listeners, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow to recap these two games we just touched on. Enjoy them. But until tomorrow, we'll see you.